Greetings. It's a great blessing for me to come and bring you the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the grace of God, which is the power of the resurrection, the power whereby God has come to share his life with us. Thank you for slotting in and allowing me to serve you with the good news of the gospel. We are sitting here in the small house that we are building for ourselves on our mission ground in Kalabu in western Zambia. And I'm just going to quickly give you just a, uh, a walk around on what we are doing here and uh, just you, that you can just have an idea. I'm, I'm only going to add in the progress that we have done in the, um, in the last week. So uh, last week, we've also haven't been here for a few days. We've gone to a leadership meeting in Kaoma where we've preached about 30 leaders and it was awesome to equip these people with the good news. It was very, very successful just to see how people truly uh, uh, get, how can I say, engaging with the good news of Jesus Christ uh, for the first time. Not that these people don't know the gospel at all, but uh, the perspective of the resurrection, the perspective of not living by works and so forth, it was just absolutely amazing. For those of you that are interested in the messages that are preached there, it has been uploaded onto YouTube. The one message was on why God made you. The other one uh, was on the love of God. And then the third one on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These messages are over an hour and also have included some Q&A. Uh, will be good to watch. And especially if you know somebody uh, that need the message in Lawsy. It has done, been done with a translator. So people that need this message in Lawsy can then watch this. Well, let us just quickly have a look at how... Uh, things are developing here. Right there you can see where I make my recording today and uh, then we're gonna go outside and we're just going to look at what they've done. They have plastered this part of the house right around and they've done what's called the beam filling. So what will take place is we're gonna have a veranda that's gonna be tied to the roof there and then be about two meters out it just goes right around the house. Right, there you can see that they've also finished the roof on the one side as well as the other side. There's the other side also finished, a bit of a glare on it now. Let me just show you the fence. Right, this is a reed fence. And uh, they use these, what they call fibers, which is just bark of trees. And then they tie these reeds in like this. We've now done about 70 meters of this. The top of it will be cut neatly. Uh, cut off and uh, now yeah, that is our fence we've got the, the pillars here I've decided just to do this reed fence and not a full brick wall uh, for two reasons the main reason would be it's much more beautiful uh, to me um, I'll also show you the other side and then this second reason obviously much cheaper uh, but the beauty is the is I, I want this Africa feel um, yeah, it, I think it came out nice. This is the other side. They just take uh, poles, these wooden poles. They last for 
30 years without rotting just standing in the in the ground like that and then we took planks and cut uh, cut them so that we could have these uh, this wood where the fibers tie around to to make to make this this fence now this fence uh, this this part is 70 meters that we've done and but the whole property is 460 so on Monday we're getting more reeds wood and poles and we will continue with this right this is the septic tank uh, this will be finished on Monday Monday the lid would be put on this and then it would be ready to to start a work on that side over there is the soak away that we have and then another thing we've done on the inside of the house like you can see we're putting in the electricity so they've cut uh, everything that will be plastered this whole wall will be plastered so although it's not straight it doesn't matter it will still all be done so yeah so the electricity is done or being being done on monday they will do the last of this and continue with that job the wall is continuing on monday the veranda is being put in over here um so yeah we are we are quite busy and then this is the view from the front porch well there you have it the vision that we have here is to uh, put up a facility wherein people can come and stay and we can train them for at least a month in a year and uh, see people's lives develop around the good news of Jesus Christ I'm excited to see how this thing is going to develop people in this area are very open for people that come from other countries and bring the gospel of Jesus it is not difficult to start a church here. It is not difficult to get people to give you their ear and listen to what you have to say. And I think one should use that opportunity. Uh, like the leadership conference that I've been doing, 30 leaders that don't know me from a bar of soap, but would love to hear and that are open for what is being taught. Uh, I mean, how can one let that opportunity go by? No, we have to make use of it. And in this area, just a Western, um, <coughs> excuse me, Western Zambian area, I'm sure we can reach at least a hundred churches with the good news of Jesus Christ. And I don't think it would be impossible to plant a hundred churches. That is also very, very, uh, very reasonably it is reachable so we will see what's going to happen and uh, i'm excited about this well let us just pray together as we get into the message that i have for you today father i want to thank you for your grace and your mercy i want to thank you for your goodness father thank you that you speak powerfully through me and just bless people with your gospel your message of righteousness that is by faith your message that your kingdom has come to the earth your message of the resurrection your message that we are heirs by you fulfilling your promise and that we can share in your quality of life amen and amen well i'm going to be reading from romans chapter 1 and verse 16. it says for i'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of god that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the jew and then to the gentile now what paul is saying here is that the gospel is the message of the power of god uh, that saves whosoever believes and then he comes with a very powerful argument and this would have been a point of contention in the time of Paul and that was to say that this is for Jew as well as Gentile it is not just for the Jew it is for Jew and Gentile for whosoever believes 
that belief would be to have a trust in God that he would destroy the oppressor. That is what it would be all about. And then in the case of the gospel, the oppressor is sin in the flesh and death itself. And that is what God would come and destroy. That's why it would never be our obligation or our responsibility to get rid of sin in our lives. No, we have been reconciled unto God through the death of Jesus Christ. What that means is that Jesus Christ went into death to conquer the very problem that was ruling over man, which is, the de which is death. And then as Jesus entered into death, he made our problem his problem. And that's how we've been reconciled back unto God as the one that's the source of our life. So many times we think that being reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ means that all people are reconciled and all people are saved. That is not what it means. It simply means, if we understand it in its context, is that God looked at the problem that we've had and he has now come and made our problem his problem and taken our burden upon him to deliver us. Then it is for us to simply believe and rely upon him and he then gives us freedom. It is like a person struggling at home and he is very sick and all of a sudden somebody comes and he says, no, <clears throat> I will take, take it upon me to bring healing to you. So we have now been reconciled. Let's say a, a good example would be, let's say you are a friend with a, a good friends with a doctor and then all of a sudden you said to the doctor, well, I don't need your advice. I can live by my own uh, knowledge and I don't need any of your expertise. And then on your, by yourself, you try to heal yourself and you realize that you cannot do it. And then all of a sudden the doctor pitches up at your house and he says, man, let me help you. And in that way, it has now gone back to the responsibility of the doctor. So you and the doctor has now been reconciled. And now it is the doctor's opportunity to bring healing to you. And this is what this passage is just about. It comes, Paul just comes and he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the just will live by faith. So uh, the righteousness here that he talks about is a righteousness that is revealed of God. The just shall live by faith. Now, some would say that the just would live by their faith. And I believe that this passage includes both. It is the trust that we have in God that God would be faithful in completing what he has started and what he has promised. And we're going to look at that in Habakkuk today a little bit. So what we find here, and let me read it again. He says, for in the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, what is the gospel? That's a very important question. I ask uh, leaders what the gospel is, and I must say, uh, at this last conference, they gave a correct answer on what the gospel is. Um, here is the gospel. <clears throat> I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, what uh, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word which I preached you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For I have received, now this is the gospel, and I pass the gospel unto you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, 
that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, <clears throat> he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have already fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then also to the apostles, and last of all, they appeared to me also as one that is born out of time or born at the wrong time or abnormally born. So <clears throat> we find the gospel here as the message that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Or not just the message, the gospel is the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and that he's Lord. That is the gospel. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and that we then, from that perspective, have the hope of salvation. Salvation from what? Salvation from death and sin. By whom? By Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And what it entails to say that there is a man seated at the right hand of God that has conquered sin and death. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So the message that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead conquered sin in the flesh, conquered death, was raised up never to sin or, or not under the power of sin or the rule of sin or the rule of death at all. The fact that he was raised up into that uh, is a declaration unto all people that this resurrection of Christ, the fact that he seated at the right hand of God, is the message of God's power unto saving whosoever believes and trusts upon him. So why would there be a, 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 a facet of belief and trust as pertaining to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, this gospel is basically from faith to faith in this sense that we believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, but that also then puts a faith or a belief in our hearts that we shall also be raised from the dead. Now, it says here, and let me read it again. Um, I just want to ask you, that water. I'm just getting a, a bit of uh, coffee here. My throat is a bit dry. And our cup has traveled through Africa. You can see it. It's been shaking on these dirt roads. Sorry, I'm not giving your coffee back to you, my love. I'm keeping it. I just took my wife's coffee. Forgive me. We forgot to bring water. And uh, my throat is uh, a bit dry, so I have to drink something. Okay, <clears throat> let's get back to Romans. It says here, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First for the Jew, and then for the Gentile, for the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed, a righteousness that is from faith to faith, or the NIV says, uh, which is from faith first to last. Just as written, the just shall live by faith. Now, that from faith to faith, the way I have seen it, and this is just my opinion, is uh, there are so many theologians when it comes to from faith to faith and what that means. Now, here's my opinion on what it means when we talk about from faith to faith. It is from the faith that we believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, or the persuasion that Jesus was raised from the dead, unto the persuasion or the faith that we shall also be raised from the dead 
as it's written, the just, those who believe the Father, shall have life by reliance and trusting upon God and not their own works. That is basically what Paul is saying here. So Paul says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, for it is the power of God that goes from the faith where we say we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, and it automatically then leads unto the persuasion that we shall also be raised from the dead, and that we therefore now don't live under the power of sin in the flesh, but that we live under the power of God's faithfulness towards us, and that is why we live a holy life. The holy life is not therefore sourced within our own power, but it's a gift that comes from God who has delivered us from sin in the flesh. Now, with that in mind, I quickly want to go to Romans chapter 10. I always say today's message is going to be a short message, and then I find that's not that short. But let's say today's message is going to be a short message. And let's see what it turns out to be. Uh, Romans 10, very well-known passage. I read, I read it last night, and uh, just little, look a little bit there again at the Greek and the context and so on. It was just beautiful. It says, Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law. This is verse 5. The person who does those things shall live by them. So the righteousness that is of the law, or the good thing that the law can do, is that the person who does the things of the law would therefore have life by the things of the law. So what is the promise of the law? The promise of the law is life. But what is the pathway through which you will then attain unto this life? You will share in the life of God if you can do the whole law. Or you will share in life and not die if you can do the whole law. We find that the law is therefore standing for what is good, but that we cannot do the law, and that the law basically then reveals that in our flesh is not the ability to, uh, to, to have eternal life by the law. Now it says in verse 6, But the righteousness which is by faith says this, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into the heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ from the dead? This is basically a reference to Deuteronomy 30, where Paul was uh, now beautifully quoting the law. And he was saying, uh, the people, when uh, Moses came and he said to the people, don't say we don't know what to do. The, the law is already with you. It's in your heart and in your mouth. Uh, you know, just, just hear and speak the law. Now use the very same thing and he talks about the fulfillment of the law and he says, Christ has now come near unto us. And we all that we should do is hear and confess Jesus. Now, verse 8. It says, verse 7 says, don't say who will ascend into the heaven or who will descend. Don't say that. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. Now, when Paul was talking about the message concerning faith that he was proclaiming, he was definitely not following the typical word of faith doctrine that is being preached widely uh, in the world today, where it's about proclamation, faith, claiming it, marking and parking your promises, and all those kind of things. <clears throat> no, it doesn't have anything to do with that. When Paul talks about the message concerning faith that we proclaim, uh, he's got something completely different in mind. He's got the message in mind and the truth in mind that Jesus was raised from the dead, 
that we acknowledge that he was raised from the dead and that we then see him not just raised from the dead, but seated at the right hand of God and that we therefore call upon his name, the name Savior, or even we can say he shall be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace and so forth. And we call upon that name for salvation. That is what he is talking about. So it is not this message of, uh, you know, I feel a bit of a scratch in my throat and now I claim my healing and I name my healing and I confess all day. I, I don't say there's anything wrong with saying, well, thank you, Lord Jesus, for healing and that you stretch forth your hand of healing towards me and I am a recipient of that. And I ask for healing. There's nothing wrong with that. There's also nothing wrong with saying I'm part of a kingdom of God wherein there is healing from where we expect healing to manifest in, in our bodies. Neither is there anything wrong with laying your hands upon the sick and seeing them recover, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, when I just came here, I laid my hands on somebody that had malaria and we just saw an instant uh, breaking of the fever and a miracle taking place, which is absolutely wonderful. And this uh, a young child. I mean, the child cannot fake it. You know, I say, no, I feel better. It's just, uh, we can just see that after praying, uh, the sweating stopped, everything stopped. It was, I think, within half an hour, the child wanted to walk around outside and he was really very ill with the malaria. <clears throat> so um, we see these miracles. But when Paul comes, he talks about the word of faith uh, that is near us, in our mouth and in our heart, is talking about the message concerning faith that we proclaim. Now, what did Paul proclaim? He proclaimed that the just shall have life by faith, believing that Jesus was raised from the dead, and then also having the faith that we shall be raised from the dead by him. Let's read on. Uh, we're going to verse 9. It explains what this word of faith is. It says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe in your heart that, excuse me, let me read verse 9 again. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now, the declaration of the mouth that Jesus is Lord, we're going to look in the next verse what it truly means. <clears throat> so, it's not uh, just saying Jesus is Lord. No, there's an understanding as pertaining to Jesus is Lord and what that means, which is found in the next verse, a few verses. Now, if you can confess Jesus Lord, which will explain what that is, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So if you can say Jesus is Lord as the physical man that was, that physically died, was buried and was raised from the dead. It says, then you shall be saved. And what is the context of salvation? Obviously, uh, the context is that Jesus died. He was in the grave for three days and then was saved from death itself by the Father raising him from the dead. And then he was saved from whatsoever his body had and now didn't have in the resurrected body. That means he was saved from sin itself, he was saved from decay, he was saved from mortality, he was saved from everything we so desperately need salvation from in this world. So, uh, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you, uh, you shall be saved. For with a heart a man, 
excuse me, for it is with a heart that you believe and are justified. So what Paul is doing here is basically referring back to chapter 3 and chapter 4, especially chapter 4 in the beginning, referring to Abraham. And he says, what did Abraham find according to the flesh? He found that when God made him a promise, he just believed the promise prior to circumcision, prior to the works of the law, prior to any of those things. And the fact that he simply believed that God could do what he has said was accounted to him for righteousness. So it says here, with a heart man believes unto ju justification. We are justified through belief. So we stand and are declared by God as righteous as we believe and rely upon God. So if justification is by belief, we need to ask ourselves, what do we need to believe? What happened? How does this belief work? So we believe with our heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. There were people in those days, especially in Corinth, if you go and read 1 Corinthians 15, they didn't believe in a resurrection anymore. Some of them just believe, and I believe that they've also, if I can basically definitely say they have been influenced by the Sadducees, which didn't believe that there was an afterlife at all. They believe you only live for this time on earth and that there is no resurrection and that whatever Jesus did, he only did that you can have a good life now. And then when you die, you are basically gone and you will be no more. And Paul then refutes that and says that there is a resurrection. Jesus was bodily raised. Uh, and we can now come and we can say, Jesus, I believe that you were bodily raised. I believe it with my heart. Believing with a heart uh, is also, it includes understanding with a mind. Paul talks about the inner man, the man of the heart, and then he refers to the inner man as the understanding. So a lot of these things are interchangeable. So if you believe with your heart, it means that your understanding has come to a place, that your, that your mind is persuaded of a certain truth. We believe that Jesus Christ has died. We believe that the death he died was not some form of a spiritual death because our issue is not spiritual death. We believe that he died physically, was physically buried, was physically raised from the dead. That is what we, what we believe. And it goes on, it says, with a heart we, we, be, we believe and are justified. That means it's the right thing to do is to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And it's with a mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all and richly bless all who call upon him. Now, what does it mean to confess with your mouth? We clearly see here that Paul refers to confession of the mouth as calling upon the name of the Lord. So if you believe, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, what Paul means by that is if you can confess that uh, and call upon his name saying, Jesus, you are called Savior, you are called the mighty God, you are called the resurrected Christ. There's so many different names, but I think the main name would be Savior, Jesus. And you can call upon that name. Call upon that name also in the Greek means to be willing to be surnamed, to say I'm part of that family. I'm part of the family of the resurrected. Jesus is raised from the dead and I am now a part of the family of the living. 
and he shall raise me from the dead. I call upon the name of the Lord. What is his, what does his name spell? His name spells Savior, Resurrected One, Lord. The one who rules over sin and death. Why would you call upon that and make your demand upon that and make your call upon that? It's because you expect that the same that is true for him is, will be true for you. So that is what it means to call on the name of the Lord. They shall be saved. So uh, believing in the heart that Jesus was raised from the dead is to say he died Physically was he buried, physically was he raised, and I call upon the rulership that he has over sin and death, and I say he's my Lord and he rules over me, therefore I experience and make take part in the same salvation as what he took part in. Jesus Christ was saved from sinful flesh. He was saved from having a life that was ruled by sin in the flesh. So we, as a free gift, only believing in Jesus, free from our efforts, now find that through the working of the Holy Spirit, as we find in Romans chapter 9, excuse me, Romans chapter 7, uh, Paul explains that we are not therefore under the rule of sin in the flesh anymore, although we still have mortal bodies. So as we believe upon the finished work of Jesus Christ, we find that the power of the resurrection rules in us, and we as Christians don't sit with what is called will worship. Will worship is to have a life that is born from your own willpower, that is born from what you need to do for God, what you need to uh, um, bring forth by your own power, wherein you have to subdue the works of the flesh, where you have to subdue the negative uh, power that wants to do that which is wrong. So we clearly find that the just shall live by faith. Now, I want to end off this part of the message by saying this. When we look at life that is described here, we find, when we look at life described here, we, we find that it is the objective. The objective is not where you go when you die. The objective of Christianity, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is to cure our flesh. That's why the Bible says he sent his word and it healed us. We've made that just healing for our physical bodies, which it also includes. But I would rather have a healing of the flesh in the sense of my flesh being healed from being under the rule and the power of sin and death than just being healed from a cold. Well, thank God for healing for both. But uh, I, I think you hear what I'm trying to communicate. God has come to heal our flesh. That's why the Bible says that, I think it's in Proverbs chapter 4. He says, listen to my word, give ear unto my sayings, for it's health to all your flesh. We've just seen that as healing. Now, what about the flesh being healed from mortality? What about the flesh being healed from uh, the law of sin and death? What about we being healed from living under the rulership of uh, uh, sin in the flesh, where we have now been offered the law of, or, or the, the rulership that is inside the flesh of Jesus, that we now have been offered that in this world by the work of the Holy Spirit and not our own work. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So we can see here that the objective is that we can share in the life of God. That's what it is all about. And should it take place that we die, 
you know what will happen? Jesus will raise us from the dead. That is what we call upon. We call upon his name, who is also able to save us. Jesus did exactly the same. Now, if we go and look at Habakkuk, I'm just quickly going to touch on that. We will find that he, he files a complaint against God. He basically say that, I'm not going to read all of that, but he basically says, God, I've got an issue here. I'm standing on, basically as a watcher on the wall, and I look at what's going on, and I find that there are people that don't have respect for your law. The leaders of Israel are completely out of order. And therefore, the law cannot be implemented. Therefore, there's chaos in the streets. Would you not please do something? When are you going to do something? We call and we don't hear anything. We call and we don't hear anything. They are just given over to their own flesh. They don't want the life that you give them. God then answers them and says, I'll do an amazing thing. You know, I'm going to send Babylon to destroy them. <laughs> Habakkuk was just confused, basically. He was upset. He then argued back. And he said, God, let me tell you something. You are a God that lives forever. You are a God that is good. Your eyes cannot behold what is evil. And now you bring Babylon, who has no respect for king, leader, any person, any fortified city. They know how to reach every person. And they come in like the wind and they just destroy and they move on. How can that be an answer? That is not an answer. That's basically making things worse. Then he comes and he then prophesies and God answers and he prophesies towards Jesus Christ. And he says, write down this vision and this will happen. It might take a while, but it will definitely take place. And then he says, the just shall live by faith. And he's then talking about God even destroying Babylon and that life will come by the faithfulness of God towards man, referring to to Christ. Habakkuk was then uh, satisfied with that answer and he said, the Lord is with us at the end. Now, the type and the shadow of that, or first of all, Paul refers to that and he says the just shall live by two things, relying upon God and then relying upon God. Why? Because he is reliable. So we shall be saved by the faithfulness of God. We shall be saved by the faithfulness of God. So what is God actually doing in addressing Habakkuk? He's saying to, them, to him, listen, you want the law to be there. You want the way of life, which seems to be unto life, to be in the streets and to be obeyed. But let me tell you something. It's not about your faithfulness to the law. It's not about your faithfulness to the Lord. These people are not going to be faithful. They've chosen to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and now they are given over to themselves or to the power of destruction, which will be Babylon, which is basically what happened with Adam and Eve. When they started to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were given over to a power that no one can escape, neither king nor ruler nor anybody. And that is the power of the flesh, which we live in as we don't live, as we are not living by grace. That is what happens. As man then basically try to live by his own power. This is a type and a shadow of, of, of humanity. As men are not obeying the law, uh, you know, or want to be under the law, cannot obey the law, we find that destruction unto death comes, but there's hope. God says, 
you are not saved by your own faithfulness. You are saved by my faithfulness. The just shall live by God's faithfulness towards them. And the only faithfulness that's available that we should have is just to know that he is faithful. That is all. And that is how he will bring salvation. Paul connects that scripture in the back of 2 verse 4 to Jesus Christ as the vision that is fulfilled as the faithfulness of God towards man. So what we need is, well, we need the law in this sense that if there are people that think they can live by their own power, give them the law. Let them see that they cannot live by their own power. Let them see the destruction that comes their way as they cannot obey the law throw the law away, live by their own power. Let them experience the Babylon that comes their way that, and that no man can escape. I just want to say Israel was also called Babylon. Uh, you know, so Babylon can be many things. Babylon can just be your own flesh, your own inability as well. But let's not focus on what Babylon is. We know what life is. Life is God being faithful towards us. And his faithfulness was seen in how God raised Jesus from the dead. And now we have the gospel, the good news, the message of salvation. And I want to say to you, as we go through these uh, villages in Africa, as we go through these uh, small towns, preach to leaders, preach to people that hear the message for the first time, and we bring this gospel, just as what I've preached it to you. It's not complicated. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed to say Jesus was raised. He conquered mortality and sin in the flesh, and he brings it to you. Some have said to me, Bertie, your message is complicated. It is not easy to understand. But I find that it doesn't matter how complicated it sounds. I want to say this. It's complicated to those that don't want to hear it. But I find that when I preach it here, people grab it. And they say, hallelujah, this is the true gospel. This is the message that, uh, that the Bible truly teaches. This is what we want. We want to hear about healing from sin in the flesh. We want to hear about the restoration of the human body. We want to hear about the resurrection. We want to hear about the kindness and the goodness of God, who is a God that has come to bring his life into the here and now. We want to know about, about the faithfulness of God and not our faithfulness. We want to hear about his love towards us and the resurrection, where he received an immortal body, where we can call upon the name of the Lord and so have eternal life. Glory to God. It's a very simple message. Man was made from the dust of the earth. Man doesn't have eternal life in himself. God offers eternal life. Man didn't want that. God showed man, listen, because man was deceived in thinking that he does have eternal life in his own flesh. God left man to his own devices and man could then discover that he doesn't have eternal life by his own flesh. God came and proved to man that he's still greater than our death raised Jesus Christ from the dead, we now see him as Lord. We now acknowledge that he was physically raised. We call upon his name. As we call upon his name, we shall be saved. And what is the salvation that we receive? We receive salvation from sin in the flesh and death. And we immediately, as we start to believe upon the Lord, start to experience the eternal life of God. We start to experience the first fruit of that life. We feel peace, love, comfort, kindness, the fruit of the Spirit. Even when we go through very difficult times, we've got that inner voice speaking to us, comforting us, bringing forth strength in us that we would not normally have. Because not just our minds, but even our bodies 
that which is physical rests in the assurance that God has us in his hand. Glory to God. Well, that is my message for you today, church. I trust that you've enjoyed this and that you were encouraged by this message. Uh, I want you to know that you are deeply loved. You are cared for by the Almighty God. As I sit here today, I feel just such an honor to sit in a half-built house. Thank God for the, uh, the technology that I can sit here, make this message and send it to you. I said to Eliana yesterday that as much as my heart is to see the gospel being preached in this area, my heart is for everyone in our internet church. People that are sitting in different areas of the world. People that uh, don't go to local church because they say, I cannot find a church where I'm hearing this message. But I want this message. I want the encouragement of this message. Uh, you are part of us. You are part of our heart. You're part of the kingdom of God. We are one in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and thank you for allowing me to serve you with this good news message. If you have any questions, please post them. Uh, to us, info at dynamicministries.com or even in Facebook or YouTube. And so um, as I pick that up and have, have a moment, I will answer. I find that I do answer a lot of questions uh, on those platforms. And I find the uh, dictation these days work well, even with the uh, South African accent. So it's easier to answer some questions. So thank you that I could serve you today with this good news message. And then we will chat again during this week as I send the daily devotionals. God bless.